and welcome to another Christian Faith Radio Hour Shortcast. This is David Campfield, and I'm recording this on Thursday, August 10th, 2023. And on this program, I want to talk about kind of a theological issue that has really bothered me for a very long time, and that is the misuse of the word atonement by Bible teachers and theologians to describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So many uh, prominent and uh, sometimes very good Bible teachers describe what Jesus did there as the atonement, and it's really not a word that should be used. The proper word, the New Testament word, to describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross is redemption, and that's how we should describe it. And there's a very, very basic difference between these two things, and that's what I want to get into today. And the reason why I'm burdened to do this today is because if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I'm getting ready in the next program to talk about the Passover as a way of getting into the matter of redemption. Because I do think, as Christians, we really need to have a very clear understanding of how redemption works. And so because I'm getting into that topic already, I thought I would take the opportunity in a short cast to deal with this issue, because as I say, it's something that's really bothered me for quite a long time. And so as I was getting ready for this program, I, I just looked around at a few resources to find examples of, of ones who use this this word atonement, and not hard to find. Um, I've, I'm, right now I'm reading a, a, a short book by Lewis Sperry Chafer called uh, True Evangelism, Winning Souls Through Prayer. And I, I want to say a little bit more about that uh, at the end of this program. But he uses the word atonement there to describe the redemptive work of Christ. And, of course, he was the founder of what would eventually become the Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was its first president for some time. And so he's quite a well-known theologian and Bible teacher, and he uses that word atonement. I looked at the Concise Bible Dictionary, and they have a long entry on atonement, as they call it, to describe uh, the work of Christ on the cross. And that's an excellent Bible Dictionary, the Concise Bible Dictionary from Bible Truth Publishers. I really encourage you to get a copy of that if you don't have one. It can be a very helpful resource. But they use that same word to describe the work of Christ on the cross. And another example was Baker's Dictionary of Theology. You know, if I if I want to look up something about theology, that can be a good resource. But again, their whole entry on the redemptive work of Christ is under their entry on atonement. And so again, and even you go if you go online and look up the atonement of Christ or the atoning work of Christ, so many people refer to what Christ did on the cross as the work of atonement. And it's just a a very, very fundamental mistake to describe it that way. Now, one other resource I was looking at, that again, that I appreciate very, very much, is the Schofield Reference Bible. And that's an excellent tool uh, for getting some basic principles of biblical understanding. Now, whenever I refer to the Schofield Reference Bible, I should say, I'm talking about the 1917 edition. I'm not talking about the new Schofield Study Bible. That's something very different, and I don't recommend that. Uh, but I highly recommend the 1917 edition of the Schofield Study Bible. A very, very good tool for understanding basic principles of biblical understanding. And I couldn't find an exact reference where he refers to the redemptive work of Christ as the atonement. But he did have a very helpful footnote to clarify why people do use this phrase. I thought it was very interesting. I'm going to just read that and, uh, and go through it with you. And, uh, and I think that will help you to understand the problem with confusing these two terms. So this note is in 
Uh, he has this on Leviticus chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement, and it's on page 148 uh, of the King James Version of the Schofield Reference Bible. And I think pretty much all the Schofield Reference Bibles uh, have the same page numbers. So it's probably on page 148 if you have the King James Version. Uh, otherwise, just look for the note on Leviticus chapter 16. But he defines the term atonement in this way. He says, The biblical use and meaning of the word must be sharply distinguished from its use in theology. And here he really hits on the basic problem with this use of the word atonement to describe the redemptive work of Christ. He's saying, basically, there is a very big difference between how the Bible uses this term and how theologians use this term. So he goes on, In theology, it is a term which covers the whole sacrificial and redemptive work of Christ. In the Old Testament, atonement is the English word used to translate the Hebrew word, which means cover, coverings, or cover. Atonement is, therefore, not a translation of the Hebrew, but a purely theological concept. The Levitical offerings covered the sins of Israel until and in anticipation of the cross, but did not take away those sins. So, biblically speaking, atonement is a word that describes the function of the Old Testament sacrifices. It does not describe what Christ accomplished on the cross. And there's a fundamental and clear difference between those two things. The Old Testament sacrifices only covered sins. They could not take them away. But the redemptive work of Christ completely removed sins. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him, he said, John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The whole purpose of the cross was not to cover sins anymore. It was that the sins we have committed would be completely removed. So to describe that work in terms of the Old Testament sacrifices by calling it an atoning sacrifice is really to demean what Christ accomplished on the cross. He accomplished redemption. He did not atone for our sins. Again, that word atone means to cover. That's not what he did. He took our sins away completely. And the writer of Hebrews stresses that's the difference between the Old Testament sacrificial system and the death of Christ on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Let's just go through those briefly. For the law, since it possesses only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, perfect those who draw near, or else would they not have ceased to be offered. For those who serve in this way, having once been purified, would no longer have had a conscience aware of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a bringing to mind of sins year by year. In Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's strongly contrasting the Old Testament system with the death of Christ on the cross. The point is, it, the Old Testament system cannot take away sins. It can only cover them. And he says the same thing later on in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 11, he says, Every priest stands daily, ministering offering ministering and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, But this one, having offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down forever on the right hand of God. In verse 14 he adds, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. 
So the one offering of Christ one time took away our sins. You know, there's that, that expression uh, in the world. I'm going to one time that guy if I see him. You know, it means you're going to hit him so hard. You're only going to have to hit him once and knock him down. So to speak, Jesus, he one timed our sin. Praise the Lord for that. He took our sins away completely with one sacrifice. He one timed our sin. I like that expression. But the Old Testament sacrifices could never do that. They could never take away sins. The function of the Old Testament sacrifices was to cover our sins for the time being until the actual sacrifice which would remove our sins, which was the death of Christ on the cross. And again, to go back to Schofield's note on Leviticus 16, he has a very good statement about this. He says, it was the cross, not the Levitical sacrifices, which made at one mint. And that's what the, the significance of that word really, of atonement really is. When you break it down, it means at one with God. That's where the word comes from, at one mint. So it was the cross and not the Levitical sacrifices which really made at one mint atonement with God. The Old Testament sacrifices enabled God to go on with the guilty people because they typified the cross. To the offerer, they were the confession of his desert of death and the expression of his faith. To God, they were the shadows of which Christ was the reality. Again, very good statement by Mr. Schofield. And I really, if you don't have a Schofield Study Bible, the 1917 edition, I really encourage you to get one because he's so good very often with the basic principles for understanding the Bible. So he's saying the atoning sacrifices in the Old Testament, they didn't even really provide the genuine atonement. They only pointed forward to the death of Christ on the cross, which would be the actual payment that God would finally accept. Praise the Lord for that. So the word atonement, it never appears in the New Testament. It is a translation or really a theological interpretation of an Old Testament word that is not used in the New Testament. Now in the King James Version, there is one place where the word atonement appears. That's Hebrews 5, or excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 11. And that verse says, uh, not only so, but we also boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received in the King James Version, it says the atonement. The, but the word there really is not atonement. It's the word reconciliation. That's the proper way to translate. That's a mistake in the King James. The proper way to translate that, uh, according to the Greek, is reconciliation. We have received the reconciliation. So the actual word atonement never appears in the New Testament. And so uh, if we want to have a good, proper, sound, biblical theology, we should never refer to what Christ accomplished on the cross as the atonement. It was not that. It did not simply cover our sins. It was a redemption. It was a payment that finally and fully and completely took away our sins. And it, it always troubles me when I hear even, uh, you know, very knowledgeable Bible teachers and theologians use that word improperly because it just conveys very much the wrong concept and it fails to draw the proper distinction between the Old Testament sacrifices and the death of Christ on the cross. Now, I want to say a couple more things related to this matter. First of all, uh, the, two, the New Testament does speak of our sins being covered in one place. And that is in 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse 8 there, the Apostle Peter says, Above all, have fervent love among yourselves, for love covers a multitude of sins. This is a very interesting verse and very, very practical. He's saying... 
there's going to be a bunch of offenses among us as a believers in Christ. And to cover those sins, to cover those offenses, we need to really have a lot of love towards all the saints. And if, if we get offended, if the saints bother us, we should exercise some love toward the saints just sometimes to let things go, to cover the offense and not to make a big issue out of it. Even sometimes we might be very seriously offended. Now, sometimes you need to deal with things. Uh, that's also true. But even if we deal with them, we, we should deal with them out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of condemnation. Very big difference and a very, very big difference in the feeling there. And I can tell you my own experience in this regard. Sometimes I know brothers have uh, exercised this kind of love to me. If I, you know, especially, you know, maybe as a young believer, I, I would do things that were not so proper. And sometimes the brothers would, would cover me with, with love, cover that offense with love, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Now, sometimes, on the other hand, the brothers have done some things to offend me. And what really covered that sometimes, if, if, if it was a brother, for example, an older brother who was caring for me, I, I, I knew, even if the brother had done something offensive toward me, I knew his heart toward me was a heart of love and a heart to care for me. That went a long way toward covering the offense, toward covering the problem. Maybe he spoke a word to me or something that wasn't uh, with quite a right spirit or maybe it wasn't quite appropriate. But if I knew still the brother really was loving me and caring for me, there was spontaneously just a, a washing and a, a covering of that offense. Praise the Lord for that. That's the kind of thing that can cover offenses in the church life. But what's interesting about this verse is love does not take away sins. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, but love cannot by itself take away sins. So it's very significant that he uses that word here. The offense and the sin is still there. And even if others cover us and cover our sins in love, we ourselves need to be very strict with ourselves to deal with our offenses and to deal with all the issues that have come up by confessing them to the Lord, sometimes confessing them to the other saints as we need to if we've offended a certain brother or sister. Then the blood not just covers the sins. It doesn't just cover the sins. According to 1 John 1 verse 9, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And because we've confessed it, and now we're washed in the blood. Now the sin there is not just covered anymore. Now it's completely washed away. So that we don't have to worry about that sin anymore when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So towards others, we need to exercise love to cover sins. But toward ourselves, if we want to go on with the Lord in a healthy way, we need to be very strict and to deal with all our offenses and to deal with all our uh, sins that we've committed towards others so we have no record even of sins to be sure those kin sins have been fully taken away and washed away by our confession and application of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the other point somewhat related to this topic, uh, as, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I've been reading a book uh, by Mr. Lewis Perry Chafer. Recently, uh, it's called True Evangelism, Winning Souls Through Prayer. And it's pretty basic. I got it because I, I did, I like the title. Uh, I, I think prayer is so important. Every day the Lord seems to convict me more and more. We have to be more in prayer for the gospel to go out in this country. Well, unfortunately, there's, it's not really much on that topic. It's more about uh, the redemptive work of Christ. I think there's one section on there that does talk about that, about the need for prayer, which is good. Um, 
But he does have a statement in here related to the gospel and to helping people to appreciate the death of Christ. And I thought that statement was very good, so I just wanted to read it very briefly to you. This is on page 50 of the book, if you have it. Mr. Chafer says, The gospel demands a special revelation for its understanding, since it announces to all humanity a perfect freedom from the penalty of sin, and also presents the corresponding fact that there can be but one reason for condemnation, and that the rejection of the Savior who bore the sin. Now, I should add here, here he's talking about John 16, verses 9 through 11, and in particular, verse 9, which says, The Spirit is going to come and convict men of sin because they do not believe in Christ. And his point is, based on that verse, that is the only sin people can be condemned for, is the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ. Every other sin if we confess and repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that sin will be forgiven. But what the Holy Spirit will convict men for of their sins is if they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the one sin that can send a person to the lake of fire for eternity. So that's why he says there's one reason for condemnation and that the rejection of the Savior who bore the sin. Man's relation to God on the question of sin in the light of the cross is so unnatural to the unregenerate mind and is so much the object of satanic blinding that there can be no understanding of this truth apart from a direct and personal illumination by the Spirit. And I really like that verse because, that statement rather, because it just been convicted recently. You know, we were at a festival this past weekend sharing the gospel and had some good opportunities. But whenever you go out in the gospel, you just feel only the Lord can open a person's eyes to see how they are guilty of sin and how they need Christ as their Savior. That's in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelieving. It is really so. Now the Lord commissions us as the believers in Christ to open the eyes of the unbelievers. That's uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 18. I uh, really appreciate that verse he sends the, when the Lord sent the Apostle Paul to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan to God. So the Lord gives us that commission. So that's our job, is to go out and open the eyes of the unbelievers. But to do that, you have to have the work of the Spirit. We go, but the Spirit has to be the one who opens the eyes to destroy and to bind the blinding work of the God of this age. And then the unbelievers can have their eyes open to see how much they need the Savior and how Christ has met all their need on the cross by dying for their sins and rising again from the dead. So I just thought that was a very good statement. I appreciate it. I wanted to share that with you. But again, mainly in this program, I'm just concerned that we have a proper distinction uh, in our understanding and in our speaking about the difference between the Old Testament sacrificial system of atonement and the New Testament reality of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. The Old Testament sacrifices covered our sins the death of Christ on the cross completely takes away our sins and praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. 
And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.